Thank you for tuning in to the City Light West Council Bluff Sermon Podcast. We are a church that exists to multiply disciples and churches that is located in Council Bluffs, Iowa. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org or follow us on Facebook at City Light West Council Bluffs and Instagram at City Light West CB. City Light? My name's Kenan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, how's everybody's Thanksgiving? Everybody good? Anybody else avoiding scales for the next couple weeks? Yeah, just let it, go ahead and let that roll through uh, Christmas too. Uh, we'll start in the new year. Uh, but it's good to see your faces this morning. If you're here, it means that uh, you didn't catch any sickness or uh, you didn't get delayed in some other city. We are here gathered together as the church. We're gathered together in what we call City Light West Council Bluffs, but it's important to remember that the church is not a place. The church is not a building. It's not a Sunday morning service. The church is not a place. It's a people. It's a community who gather together. In this church, this community of people, we are on a mission. We're on a mission to see the gospel of Jesus Christ transform our city. We long to see broken people made whole. We long to see tired people find rest. We long to see people who are addicted find freedom, to see the lonely find a family. We long to see people in our city find hope in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Christ. We want to be a light to our city. Get that city light? Yeah. And we've prayed it again and again and again in our church, but we long to see God's kingdom come to West Council Bluffs as it is in heaven. And this this week, I was thinking about why do we pray that prayer? Why do we pray that prayer? It's because I think we are, the people in this room, we are well aware and well acquainted with the brokenness in our world. We've seen it from the outside and we've experienced it ourselves. And our hope is that as the good news about what Jesus has done spreads through our city, the people can hear, can find the healing that they long for. And and I feel like around the holidays, for some, they bring a lot of joy. But for some, it actually magnifies the brokenness in our world. For some, this is a season that brings all sorts of positive experiences and all sorts of fond memories. But for others, when they are gathered around the Thanksgiving table, they become well aware with the brokenness in their world. For some, the Thanksgiving table this year was the first time they celebrated without so-and-so because they passed this past year. During the holidays, some of us become really well aware of the fact that we're unable to buy all the gifts we want to for our kids and grandkids because we lack financially. For some, we become well aware of our loneliness as we sit around the kitchen table for Thanksgiving alone again. We come face to face with our failure as we get to the end of the year and realize all the goals and plans we had for the first came and went and we failed again. For some, the holiday season is not a season of joy, but it's a season where we realize the brokenness of our world and we realize how far we've fallen. The holiday season brings to surface these pain points, these traumatic experiences from holidays past. And these letdowns can cause us to ask the question like, does God even care? 
Is he even here? Does he see me? And that's exactly why we wanted to talk during this Christmas season about God being with us in all sorts of different life circumstances. So over the next four weeks, as we lead up to Christmas Eve, we're going to open up the scriptures and look at how God was with certain people throughout Jesus's birth story. And we're going to see how God met each of them where they were, how God was with them. Sound like a plan? Sounds good. Well, uh, let me start off by talking, giving a, a Netflix recommendation. I think it's, I think it's family. It's family Sunday. I'm 99% sure it's family appropriate. I don't remember exactly, but it's called Pepsi. Where's my jet? It's a documentary series telling the story of 21 year old John Leonard. When John was 21 years old, he saw a TV commercial advertising Pepsi's new marketing campaign. And the, campa- the campaign went something like this. If you drink Pepsi, you earn points. And the more points you earn, you can redeem those points for t-shirts and hats and sweaters and all sorts of Pepsi swag. And so they were trying to advertise all the different things throughout this commercial. Their main character would put on a hat and at the bottom of the screen it would say hat 500 points and then he'd go and he'd put on a pepsi jacket and it'd say uh jacket a thousand points and then he'd put in like a, a walkman like you know you remember back in the 90s the walkmans and it'd be like walkman 2500 and then we get to the end of the commercial and our same main character we've been following this whole time he comes to school in a military grade jet And as he steps out of this jet, the bottom of the screen simply says, Harrier Jet, 7 million points. And John Leonard took that offer seriously. Although it would take drinking 190 cans of Pepsi every single day for 100 years to reach his goal, he was not deterred. In fact, he was excited about the proposition. All he needed was 7 million points. So he put together plans and strategies and investors in order to make his dream come true. He wanted to own a military-grade Harrier jet. And kind of through the documentary, he ends up finding this loophole in which he could save himself a lot of money. And they sent in the final, they sent in 7 million points. And in his mind, the jet should have been his. He's like, I saw it on the commercial, 7 million points, 7 million points. Pepsi, where's my jet? But unfortunately, it wasn't quite so easy. What happened is that Pepsi fought him tooth and nail. But yet again, John Leonard was not deterred. He was dead on getting his jet. Early on, they even entered into negotiations with Pepsi to just make this whole thing go away. And Pepsi offered him $1 million. And he said straight to all the executives around the meeting room table, he said, I want my jet. (laughs) As I was watching, I mean, for John, (laughs) this documentary goes out of the way. It's not on. All right, it's fine. We'll do this. Check, check, check. Check, 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 check. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, that's way louder. Could you in the back hear me? Should I start at the beginning? Just kidding. No. 
So John Leonard was dead set on getting his jet. And the documentary goes to show all the lengths to which he wanted this jet. And by the end of this documentary, he really liked this kid. He's got some moxie. He's got some guts. He's got some determination. And I was rooting for him. I really wanted him to defeat the big bad corporation. So this whole documentary continues with lawsuits and countersuits and media appearances and ultimatums. It's this whole long process that finally ends up in federal court. And as we get to the end of the documentary, what I'm expecting is this big victory for the little guy over the big, big guy. Right? That's what good stories are made of. That's Rudy running onto the football field. That's David beating Goliath. One ordinary dude beating the multinational, multi-billion dollar corporation. That's what I wanted to see. But although the documentary sets us up to believe in John's case, at the end of this three-year battle, we find out that John wins nothing. Three years of his life wasted. After all this waiting, still no jet. Such is life, am I right? All this waiting, all this hoping, all this longing for more, for better, and oftentimes we get to the end of the road and there's still no jet. And here's what I want to talk about this morning. Even though like a lot of life is waiting, and our waiting, the end of the road, it may not turn out the way we want it to. What we need to remember is that God is with us in the waiting. God is with us in the waiting. So we're going to open up our passage, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. I'm going to read that right now. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So there's this priest named Zechariah who is married to a woman named Elizabeth. And here's, here's the fact that Luke really wants us to know about them is that they loved God. They obeyed God as best as they could. They walked blameless is what verse 6 says. They were awesome people. They served God. They served God's people, but they had no children. Elizabeth was barren, and they were old. So we have these God-fearing, God-loving, God-serving people run into serious tragedy. Back in the first century, uh, not having children was a huge deal. Not, not having children was shameful. Luke says at the end of what Chuck read at chapter, uh, in verse 25, that it was a reproach on them. It was viewed as punishment from God. Like, you, if you can't have kids, you must have done something wrong. Like, your faith must be, not be strong enough. You must have uh, sin in your life that needs to be dealt with. If you truly loved God, he wouldn't allow this to happen. And so just to straighten some things out, like following Jesus does not mean you will never face trials. Following Jesus does not mean that every sickness in your family will be healed. Following Jesus does not preclude us from facing trials. We just got out of the book of Acts where we saw tons of faithful followers of Jesus be arrested, persecuted, and even murdered. 
And we see all over the world, even today, people who love Jesus, who serve Jesus, they may starve to death. They may die of disease. They might be persecuted and killed for their faith. Is it because they weren't strong enough in their faith? Or they didn't pray hard enough? Or they didn't use the right words? No. It wasn't because they had some secret sin issue? No, it's simply because following Jesus does not mean that we will escape the effects of a fallen world. Nowhere in Scripture are we promised health, wealth, and safety because we follow Jesus. What we are assured of, however, is that whatever life may bring, what may come, we have him. And we have eternal life in him. So we have this couple who's serving God, loving God, seemingly doing everything right, and yet they are unable to have children. And if you've ever been there, or if you're there right now, infertility can be a crushing debilitating reality. Like it starts like you have all this hope to get pregnant, right? Only to find out a month later, ah, didn't work. And then, you know, well, maybe this, this will be the month, this one. And then yet again. And then you're like, okay, this next month, and then that test comes back negative. Month after month after month serves as this nagging, constant reminder that what you're dreaming of, the family that you're longing for, the baby that you're praying for, is yet again not a reality. And your parents keep asking, like, when are you going to give us grandkids? And your, your uh, target credit card's maxed out from all the baby showers you've been to, but all you long for is to be on the other side of that wrapping paper. Infertility can be a heart-wrenching, heartbreaking, hope-draining, soul-killing reality. And Zachariah and Elizabeth try to have children month after month after month after month. And my question is like, man, how long did they hold out hope? A year? How long did they keep trying? Two years? Five years? How long did they keep praying to God to give them a child? 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. The text says that they were old, so decade after decade after decade, they wait. And decade after decade after decade, they have no children until they finally come to the sobering realization. I guess this isn't in the cards for us. These are the characters we're introduced to in Luke chapter 1. Unless we get two down the dumps, like, hey, Kenan, you're bumming us out. First weekend of Christmas season. The truth we need to remember this morning. And the truth we need to remember for the rest of our lives is that God is with us in the waiting. God is with us in the waiting. And so we learn in verse 8 that this old childless man who is a priest, he was tasked with entering the temple and performing some religious duties. Let's read verse 8. While he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And so just just to give you a brief overview of what's going on here. So Zechariah was a priest, which means that he came from the Levite family. 
And there were tons of Levites. It wasn't like a church here where there's just me and Chuck and Jordan and Cheyenne and Kendall. There's a ton of Levites. Back in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 23, we were told that there were 24,000 men who were given the role of priest. And the people who served as priests would be split into 24 divisions. This is where we read that Zechariah was in the division of Abijah. And this is all in 1 Chronicles 23 and 24. And verse 5 tells us that Zechariah was in this division where earlier, generations earlier, there were a thousand people in this division. And I swear I'm getting somewhere with this. Hold on. And so each of these divisions with at least a thousand people likely served twice a year, a week at a time. Two weeks a year, this particular division of priests would be called on to perform their religious duty. But still, there's too many people to perform the tasks that they needed to do. So how would they choose who does what? Well, they would cast lots. And I honestly, I read about casting lots this week, and I still have no idea how it works. So it has something to do with picking numbers, and I, I didn't quite understand it. But all we need to know is that Zechariah was chosen to enter the temple and burn the incense. And this is a huge deal. Every day, in the morning and in the evening, a priest would go into the temple and burn the incense for the prayers of the people. This was an act so holy, so revered, so honored that you were not allowed to do it twice in a lifetime. So as the priests gathered together to cast lots every morning and every night to go into the temple to burn incense, only people who've never done it before could do it. So this is literally a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to stand in the presence of God and pray to God on behalf of God's people. And remember, Zechariah is old. And so he's been casting lots for this duty his whole life. And every other time he had to serve, he had lost. So over and over and over again, he'd been passed up for this task waiting for his chance to serve the Lord. But then, one fateful day, Zechariah is finally given this holy task of entering the temple and burning the incense for the prayers of God's people. This would be like the highlight of his professional career. This is what everything has been leading up to. And so Zechariah enters the temple, and verse 11 says, When he enters the temple, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Which makes sense. Zechariah enters the temple, and he was probably trained for this duty. He talked to other people who'd done it, so he knew what to expect. And when he walks into the temple, suddenly there's an angel there. He's like, nobody told me about this part. Like, I was not expecting this at all. And then the angel speaks in verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And there's a little phrase in there that I want to stop on. Your prayer has been heard? What prayer? Zechariah enters the temple for the prayers of the people, not his own personal prayers. And 
The Bible doesn't say it for sure, but I feel like maybe if Zechariah's anything like me, he's been waiting for this moment. All his life as he longed for children and month after month after month when Elizabeth was not pregnant, I wondered how many times he prayed to God asking him to give them a child. And then finally he gets his lot picked to go into the temple and to pray on behalf of God's people. But if he's anything like me, maybe he saw this as an opportunity. Like maybe he prayed one more time the prayer that he prayed for decades but had long since given up on. Maybe as he entered the temple into the very presence of the Lord, he let out one more desperate plea to God. Bring my wife and I a child. And in that moment, an angel appeared to him and gives him the news that your prayer has been heard. Can you imagine being Zechariah after decades and decades and decades of no answer? And then an angel comes and says, your prayer has been heard. What a beautiful sound that would be to your ears. Your prayer has been heard and you will have a son. That's it's crazy. In verse 18 is where we get Zechariah's response. How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Like Zechariah is confronted with a heavenly being and still he doesn't believe. I gotta be honest. If an angel shows up to me and says something to me, I'm, I think I'm gonna believe it. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. And I, I guess I don't really know what an angel's supposed to look like. Uh, it was a short week, Thanksgiving week, so I didn't have time to like Google it. But I'm picturing like this. I didn't. I'm, I'm picturing this like bright and shiny, like Chris Hemsworth in a toga with wings, and like a powerful voice like Tim, like coming in. Like I'm listening to that thing, whatever that thing is. But Zechariah doesn't. And as I thought about it, I'm like, that actually kind of makes a little bit of sense. I know many people in this room have experienced disappointment. Many people in this room have experienced loss. I know many people in this room have prayed and prayed and prayed and done everything they could to keep serving God, to keep obeying God. They prayed some more. And still, after all the waiting, there was nothing. And the question is like, God, have you forgotten me? Have you... Are you even listening? Like, did you leave? What, what's going on? And if you've been in that spot for very long, you know how hard it is to get up out of that hole. Even to the point where an angel couldn't convince you. But here's the truth that we need to remember if you're in that place today. Or if you're thinking back to a time when you were in that spot, is that God was with you in the waiting. And this morning, God is with us in the waiting. Zechariah's name, it means God remembers. God remembers. Even during those days, those months, those years where Zechariah and Elizabeth cried out to God and felt like God had left them or ignored them, the truth was that God remembers them. God had not lost sight of Zechariah, and God has not lost sight of you. No matter where you've been, no matter how many prayers have seemed to go unanswered, no matter how long you've been waiting, God has not lost sight of you. God remembers you. God is with you in the waiting. And I know that because he brought you this morning to this old church to let you know that God is with you in the waiting. God is with you in your waiting. 
There's a lot more that happens in this story. Zechariah struck mute until John is born because of his disbelief. We're told he communicates through hand gestures in verse 22, which is kind of funny to imagine how to communicate. I just saw an angel. It spoke to me. It's just this funny scene. It's one, and it was 10 months long game of charades. It's a pretty epic game of charades. But let's skip down to verse 68. This is after Elizabeth had gotten pregnant and gives birth to John. Zechariah's mouth was opened up for the first time since he had been visited by the angel. And the first thing that came out of his mouth was, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Zechariah, whose life was characterized by waiting, had seen with his own two eyes the miraculous birth of his son, John. And in response, he worshiped God and proclaims the truth that God has visited and redeemed his people. Zechariah is celebrating that God hasn't forgotten about us. God hasn't lost track of us. He has visited us and is redeeming us. Although the waiting was hard and all the, the answer didn't come the way I wanted, God has visited us and is redeeming us. What a beautiful truth for us this morning. That although we may be in periods of waiting, although we may feel let down, and ultimately your prayer might not ever get answered the way you want it to be. In the midst of that, God is with you. He has come down to you. He has visited us. God is with us in the waiting church. And not only has God visited us, but he has redeemed us. And you're like, what does that even mean? Redeemed is such a churchy word. Why is that good news for me? I mean, redemption is all about something being renewed, rebuilt, and restored. What Zechariah is proclaiming is the glorious truth that God is now and will ultimately one day renew all that's broken, rebuild all that's been destroyed, and restore all that's been lost. God is and will mend every broken heart, heal every broken soul, and bring life and light to the dark and desolate things in us. And if you want proof of that, look at Jesus. If you want proof of that, look to Jesus. God himself has visited us. And God has redeemed us in Jesus. God has himself visited us. Flesh and blood on, walked on the earth that he created. Emmanuel, God, it's what we celebrate in Christmas, right? Is this glorious reality that God, the king of the universe, the eternal being, actually put on skin and bone. And Jesus entered into a world of waiting. For thousands of years, God people had waited for God to send a savior who would be able to rescue them from their oppressors and free them from their captivity and to restore shalom, to put everything back to right, to bring peace And Jesus actually came to a world, to the Jewish people who were waiting for a Messiah to renew all that was broken, rebuild all that was destroyed, and restore all that had been lost. And on the cross, God himself bears the sin of the world so that our souls could be renewed, rebuilt, and restored. 
On the cross, Jesus took the punishment for our sin so that should we turn from our sin and turn to him, we receive his grace and forgiveness. And in that, our very souls are redeemed and our relationship with God can be put back together again. God has visited us and redeemed us. Not only during the Christmas season we celebrate this first advent, this first coming of Jesus, but during this Christmas season we look forward to the second advent when he will come again. Because although his free gift of grace is open for all to come and receive, although anyone this morning can trust in Jesus this morning and receive redemption for your soul, we're longing for that second coming of Jesus when once again we will cry out, our God has visited and redeemed us. And on that day when Jesus comes on the clouds in glory, everything will be redeemed. Everything that is broken will be renewed. All that has been destroyed will be rebuilt. All that has been lost will be restored. On the second advent, we will not only have redemption of our souls, but redemption of all creation, where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He will heal every sickness and mend every broken heart. On that day, wars will be ended. And hatred will cease on that day. Our waiting will be over because we will be in the very presence of the everlasting, ever-present, ever-loving God of the universe. Our God will visit and redeem us. So we take communion every week to remember how he met us in the waiting. How he died for us while we were still sinners. The bread represents his body that was broken and the juice represents his blood that was shed for our sin. He was crucified for us so that we may find redemption in him. So if you're in this place and you say, I need to have redemption in Jesus. I need to be restored to right relationship with God. I need to have my sin forgiven. Then come take communion with us. All you have to do is simply turn from your old life and say, man, I'm going to commit to following Jesus. Trust in his free free gift of forgiveness for you in the cross. That on the cross, Jesus bore the punishment for your sin so that you no longer have to pay the punishment for your sin. And if that's you, uh, I'm just going to ask Marie and uh, Teresa, if you want to be in the back, if you need prayer, if you say, man, I want to turn to this Jesus, I want to experience this redemption, Come take communion and pray in the back with Marie or Teresa. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you're in a season of waiting, you've been crying out to God, but you feel defeated, deflated, or dejected, come take communion with us, remembering that God himself has visited us. He walked this earth. He lived a perfect life and died a sinner death so that you might be able to know his presence that has never left you. In the midst of your doubt and in the midst of your struggle, God is with you in the waiting. And once again, if you need prayer, if you're saying, I'm struggling and I need someone to pray for me, there'll be some sisters in the back who are glad to do that for you. And for all of us, we're going to take communion to remember what Jesus has done for us in his first coming, but also keep us longing for his second coming, where we will see the redemption of our souls happen in all of creation, we, where he will put everything back together again. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this glorious truth that you are with us in the waiting.
that you have not left us, that you have not forgotten us. In fact, your word says that you actually draw near to the brokenhearted. And so, Lord, I just pray for every single person in this room. We would be confronted with your witness, <laughs> the fact that you are with us. Every single person in this room, whether we're running from God or whether we've been walking for God with God for a long time, Lord, we would have a true understanding of how you are with us. And Lord, as a response to that, we would follow you. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning that this uh, community of people, we would be encouraged and we would be empowered knowing that you are with us. Or it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. This podcast is not intended to serve as a substitute for gathering with a local body of believers, but as a resource that encourages and empowers you to follow Jesus as your heart is pointed towards the gospel. If you want to learn more about our church, visit citylightwestcb.org.